This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, August 25th. I'm Matt Hoish. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, county counters statewide reduction in property tax rate. Telluride plans a full-scale gondola replacement. Pay it forward with Ana Hurtado. And a mountain weather forecast. But first... Koto reflects the values of this unique community that celebrates civil liberties, nonconformist creativity, egalitarian social values, and the historic preservation of Telluride. Help keep this one-of-a-kind Telluride institution going strong by heading to koto.org to make your donation during our summer fun drive. And thank you. The San Miguel Board of County Commissioners voted on Wednesday to slightly increase the county mill levy rate to offset a change passed at the state level that will reduce the assessment rate for some properties over the next two years. The two-year residential assessment change for the bulk of residential property um, is proposed to go to 6.95% from its current 7.15%. That's County Manager Mike Bordonia briefing the BOCC at their meeting this week. According to Bordonia, if the county did nothing, the reduced rate would mean the local government would collect about $200,000 less in taxes for 2023. But a ballot measure passed by local voters in 2020 allows the county to make adjustments to collect the same amount of residential property taxes as they would have if the assessment rate had not been reduced at the state level. And it is applicable just to county taxes. It's not school districts, special districts, or other types of taxes. According to Bordonia, the adjustment to keep the county revenue stable would mean someone with a million-dollar house would pay about $23 more in property taxes than they would under the new lower rate. Obviously, you can extrapolate that. It's a half-million-dollar house. It's, um, you know, half $23. If it's a $2 million house, it's double that. Commissioner Hillary Cooper is against the mill levy increase. When the local ballot measure was passed, she notes the county expected to be hit hard financially from COVID-19. Instead, in her view, the government has come out, quote, really well economically from the pandemic. For this year or next year, yes, it feels to me that we could afford to save people a little bit of money. I understand it's just a little bit of money, but saving people a little bit of money right now, I mean, I'll take any savings I can get right now. But, Bordonia adds, he's concerned about several factors that could impact county finances down the road. Pun intended, because factoring in inflation, the road and bridge department, he explains, is poised to hit a negative fund balance within three years. We're going to have to do something substantial for road and bridge if we want to maintain just current operations, not even an increase in operations. Commissioner Lance Waring is pretty blunt in his assessment of that information. That's not good news, Mike. Both Commissioner Waring and Commissioner Chris Holstrom support the mill levy increase. Here's Commissioner Holstrom. Although I I appreciate what Commissioner Cooper is saying, if we had stable demands... (laughs) I, I would appreciate, I could I could see doing that, but I feel like we are getting just a vast amount of increased demands on many of our services. The county commissioners voted two to one to use the powers given by the 2020 ballot measure and increase the mill levy rate on residential property to keep the county's revenue the same. 
Commissioner Cooper was the lone no vote. Paris may have the Eiffel Tower and Seattle the Space Needle, but Telluride and Mountain Village can lay claim to the gondola, that icon of local infrastructure and the only free public transit of its kind in the U.S. Serving 3 million users each year, from recreators and tourists to commuters and residents, it's an essential link between Telluride, the ski resort, and the Mountain Village. This week, Telluride Town Council discussed some big changes in store for the gondola, in 2027, the current operating agreement expires, and around the same timeline, the gondola will need to be replaced in its entirety. Currently, the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association pays for the majority of gondola operations. However, as the current agreement expires, Councilwoman Mian Fee explains the multiple stakeholders in the gondola will need to renegotiate. Post 2027, we're gonna to need to create a new operating and maintenance agreement, um, ideally amongst the three uh, governmental entities. So the San Miguel, San Miguel County, the Mountain Village, ourselves, and then ideally the ski resort as well. Additionally, Fee says that the current operators of the gondola have studied its long-term maintenance and conclude that it needs a full-scale replacement. You know, using the existing structure is is not feasible. The it has the most hours of any gondola in the world. Okay. You know, and ultimately the parts don't exist anymore. They're buying them on eBay, which was a super fun and horrifying fact that we found out through the course of this process. The construction project and gondola management bring up a number of questions, few of which have been answered yet. Fee says that one major question is what will replace the gondola during its reconstruction. We need to figure out what the interim plan will be when the gondola um, is under construction. And that is a, a pretty big question for us all to be able to answer because that's going to be an 18-month minimum construction project. President of the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association, Anton Benitez, who is in attendance at Tuesday's meeting, stresses that a funding agreement is an essential next step. How are we going to fund this uh, gondola after 2027? And I know some people think 2027 is a long ways away. But it is not. I mean, we have to start figuring out how we're going to fund this. I think everybody wants to keep the gondola going. Fee addresses another question which many users might have. Will the gondola remain free of charge? Everybody wants that to be the case. Absolutely. The general public wants to, as per the surveys that have been um, uh, that have been done. All the governments want to as well. For Mayor Delaney Young, keeping the gondola free is a priority. But she also points out that some grants would prefer the gondola charge a fee, and the general funding and taxation picture is still very unclear. Some grant funding actually looks at how you're financing stuff, and in some cases charging a fee helps with additional funding, because there's all these questions that are unanswered, like, are we going to taxing? Are we going to do a mill levy? Are we going to do a sales tax? How much is each government going to put in? How much is Telski going to put in? Although 2027 is more than four years away, Fee says that given the scale of the project, there is little time to spare. The planning process needs to be accelerating, she says. Town Council has a subcommittee which meets to discuss plans for the gondola, and updates regarding the project will continue to be shared at council meetings. Sometimes, when covering the news, we miss the people who maybe aren't doing anything dramatic or new, but deserve a little recognition. 
for being one of the many community members who hold our region together. So, Kodo News is starting a new series, Pay It Forward. Each segment, we'll talk with someone in the community about their life and Telluride journey, and then ask them to nominate someone to shine a spotlight on for the next segment. Last week, we heard from Diana Gonzalez. Her choice for our next guest is local hairstylist Ana Hurtado. She always looks so fresh. She works a lot. She's like so strong and she's always so happy and uh, funny and she's like so extrovert. I think she have a lot of stuff that I want to have and I don't, but she's like, I don't know, that spirit like uh, energetic and I'm so proud of her and, and she's doing it great and I hope she do better. Our conversation with Hurtado began with her life before coming to Telluride. I have see five siblings and I grew up in Mexico in a small town called Melaque, Jalisco, and I'm from Jalisco State. I grew up with my mom. She was divorced. It was a tough life, especially because, you know, the economy. And I moved here when I get married, and it changed a lot. It's totally different. The opportunities to do your job and get paid for what you do, it changed a lot. When did you get to the U.S. from Mexico? 2004. And I moved to California. Why did you move? We moved because, you know, same situation, the economy. And um, we were struggling there with uh, a little girl, which is my old daughter. She was three years. And, um, yeah, we decided to do a big change of life. And we moved to California. And then you moved from California to Telluride. To Telluride. 12 years 12 ago. 12 years ago. Why? And California was, was really tough. There's not many opportunities as here. Talking about job, there's so many people, um, you know, the population is. And also, it was the recession, or I don't know how to say, about in 2007, 2010. We were considering to go back to Mexico because it was really tough in California. Then a relative told us about this place, and we decided to move. Do you remember your first impressions of Telluride when you first came here? Cold. Been living in California, first impression here was like, what I'm doing here, this is so small. (laughs) (laughs) Then why did you stay if it was so small? (laughs) See, because it was the first impression, but um, as soon as my daughter get inscribed in um, school, I see how high level of education we have in Telluride. And I think it was the first thing that it makes me stay. What were the other things that made you stay? Um, the place, um, how safe we feel here, and um, opportunities. I saw the opportunity to learn English because in California, you know, nobody needs to speak uh, English. Everybody speaks Spanish. So as soon as I get here, I started learning English and still working on it, how you can see. <laughs> it, it was a totally different type of life. Was it a hard adjustment? A little bit. A little bit. What was hard? how cold it was and um, altitude and uh, socialized. What do you mean? I haven't seen um, that many Mexicans or Latinos, so um, a lot of white people. So it was hard to try to be in the community. Do you feel like you're part of the community now? Yes. I try to be involved. I volunteer TAB with Jessica Galbo, and uh, I help 
a couple of times at the food bank. And I was a part of the group Somos Uno with Cody jerking. And yeah, I think I feel part of the community. And you're a hairstylist. Can you tell me a bit about your job and, and how you ended up doing that? I work by myself and I help some salones in town. I work with uh, Linda Patterson and Erin uh, Cayenne. We do brights. I also had the opportunity to help for the film festival, some famous people who came, so which is amazing. How did you get into hairstyling? What, what do you enjoy about it? I really like to do hair, like hair and makeup is what I really like. Why? I know, I think it's when I, it's where can I, um, to show up my creativity is so too much. And what do you do when you're not at your job? Mm, I really like to mm, hike and um, hang out with friends, um, spend time with my kids. I try to learn how to ski during the winter. Are you good at skiing? Not really. <laughs> I learned too, too old. <laughs> I'm still learning that. <laughs> um, trying to get some skills <laughs> it comes it comes that was local hairstylist Ana Hurtado tune in next week for another installment of our Pay It Forward series to hear from Hurtado's nomination for someone she thinks deserves a little recognition this summer Some of Telluride's youth have been taking on a project that combines research, art, and civic engagement. Using the lens of a camera, they've been exploring the community and capturing images of community challenges, as well as evidence of resilience and hope. This week at Town Council, the Director of Youth Services for San Miguel County, Wendy Crank, explains the photography project she's been working on with local youth offenders. We're doing a qualitative research project on the community of Telluride from the youth of Telluride. So it's a qualitative research project using photography to show the leaders of the community what their strengths are as they see as youth, um, what their struggles are in the Telluride community and what they'd like to see in their future. The youth take photographs which capture the struggles of Telluride and then take another photograph to represent a possible strength, solution, or path forward. Telluride high schooler Jonathan Matamoris explains the prompt that youth services provided to its participants. Something that you believe is a struggle of, you know, something around the community of Telluride or something that you believe personally is a struggle. And you also take another picture which depicts a good thing or a benefit or something that can help change it around. The program is run jointly with Colorado Communities That Care. All of the photographs, documenting both struggle and success, will be on view during Art Walk on September 1st at the Telluride Foundation on Main Street. After a COVID-delayed ceremony, San Miguel County is earning recognition for its Matterhorn Mill cleanup project. The Matterhorn Mill sits south of Telluride. The 102-year-old mill has been inactive since 1968. Until recently, it was contaminated with heavy metals, mine tailings, and tailing ponds. Earlier this month, the U.S. Forest Service presented San Miguel County with a Regional Forester's Award with the theme of rising up to the challenge and leading through adversity. For its work on cleaning up the site, 
and sustaining forests and grasslands. According to county officials, future plans for the Matterhorn Mill include the potential for heritage tourism, providing residents and visitors in the area with an opportunity to glimpse into the historic mining legacy of the San Juans. The latest weekly turnover at the Nugget Theatre has Nope leaving the big screen to give way to Bullet Train starting this Friday. The action comedy stars Brad Pitt, who sets out on an adventure in, you guessed it, a fast-moving bullet train. Rated R and running at just over two hours, Bullet Train begins a nightly run at 7 p.m. at the Nugget Theatre on Friday, August 26th, and goes through Thursday, September 1st. The drama continues to churn around the Aspen Times. Now the national press is paying attention. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KDNK's Morgan Neely has more. Publications including the Atlantic Magazine and New York Times have carried features over the last week detailing declining morale, loss of staff, and self-censorship since Ogden newspapers purchased the Aspen Times parent company in November 2021. The primary issue? New ownership's directives not to publish articles about Soviet-born billionaire Vladislav Doronin, who purchased a one-acre parcel at the base of Aspen Mountain for $76 million in early March. His team sued the Aspen Times for defamation after the paper carried references calling him a Russian oligarch, and his team repeatedly insisted he had no business ties to Russia. In fact, Doronin transferred his one-third ownership stake in a Moscow-based capital group to his mother the day after filing suit against the Aspen Times. The parties settled the lawsuit in June. Now, former Aspen Times editor-in-chief Andrew Travers says in a lengthy dissection of the dust-up in The Atlantic that Ogden leadership fired him in June for running pieces critical of Doronin and that the paper's staff was forced to sit on investigations into the hotel developer's finances for months while the lawsuit played out. For KDNK News, I'm Morgan Neely. An eight-week wildfire mitigation project in La Plata County will start in September. The county was one of seven in Colorado that was a recipient of a state-awarded workforce development grant. For KSUT Tribal Radio and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Sarah Flower reports. La Plata County-owned land near Edgemont Highlands subdivision was selected to have significant wildfire mitigation done to the land as part of the newly developed Colorado Strategic Wildfire Action Program. The program was created after the devastating 2020 wildfire season and was launched by the Polis administration through a bipartisan Senate bill last year. Allison Lurch is the Wildfire Mitigation Program Administrator for the Colorado Department of Natural Resources Executive Director's Office. She says the workforce grant funding will go directly towards the Southwest Conservation Corps, who will be completing the mitigation efforts and give crew members an opportunity to learn field skills and how to minimize spread and severity of wildfires going forward. Lurch says that those who received the grant were chosen based on life, property, and infrastructure, and the impact mitigation efforts would have. We really focused our ranking and review on the proximity to an area of high risk in a wildland urban interface area. We use Colorado State Forest Service data for this to really pinpoint the location to this known data that we have. 
And so we did receive projects across the state that were maybe more forest health or watershed focused that didn't always rise to the top. Whereas the projects that rose to the top were the ones closest to communities and closest to impacting and reducing that wildfire risk to those communities. La Plata County Administration says that the parcel selected has a lot of overgrown fuels and these will be removed to reduce fire spread and restore the forest to a more resilient and healthy landscape. The mitigated area will cover the 18 acres directly adjacent to Edgemont Homes on land owned by the county. The entire budget of the Colorado Strategic Wildfire Action Program is $17.5 million, with over $8 million going towards landscape resilience investment that, that was created to have larger dollars invested across the strategic focus areas. Lurch says La Plata County received almost a million dollars for landscape resilience to complete 571 acres of mitigation off County Road 240. Wildfire mitigation efforts for Edgemont Highland subdivision is expected to start next month. Reporting for KSUT Tribal Radio, I'm Sarah Flower. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Friday, expect mostly cloudy skies with a high near 60 degrees and a 70% chance of precipitation. Friday night should be partly cloudy with a low in the mid-40s and a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Saturday calls for mostly sunny skies with a high in the mid-60s and a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Saturday night, expect partly cloudy skies with a low in the mid-40s and a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms. This has been the news for Thursday, August 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to KOTO during our summer fun drive. A huge thank you to Sarah Landerview, John Gillette, Matthew Russell, Chuck Lynch, Tim Erdman, Jane and Gary Hickox, David Lesnow, Peggy Collins, Craig and Dixie Olson, Matthew Hintermeister, Casey and Margaret Olson, Betty Hastings, Janice and Johnny Girona, Connie Forderell, Kim Wheels, Noah Sheedy, Zelda and Sheldon Tenenbaum, Scott Petty, Phil Zimmer, Sarah Spencer, Ben Jackson, Norm McLean, Jasper DuPont, David Nepsky, and Steve Patterson. Thank you all so much. Thank you.